Trinity Baptist Church, a community growing in faith, obedience, and joy. Good morning, Trinity. I was born the only child to a mom and dad who never married. Shortly after I was born, one day while my dad was out and about, mom gathered all our stuff and left. Didn't leave a note, didn't leave a number, gone. So I grew up, I grew up without my dad. When I was about six years old, my mom brought me to visit him. I saw him a few times, and I felt like, you know what? It's not too bad. I don't see him every day, but I know I have a man out there who loves me, and he will show me the ropes. He will teach me how to be a man until we got a call one day. We went to the hospital. There in the hospital room, I saw my father in a gown, machines, very ill. That day, my dad passed away. He had cirrhosis of the liver. At 34 years old, his life was snuffed out. And that day, I knew that my dad was, was not just in the Bronx, but he was gone. I would never see him ever again. And so as a young, young man, I, growing up and living in Spanish Harlem at the time, the streets became my surrogate father. And I started learning the code of the street, and, and that led me to make many poor decisions. I dropped out of high school in the ninth grade. To deal with the pain and the insecurity of life, I started using drugs, started getting into trouble, was incarcerated. I ran away from home, 14 years old, living on the streets for nine months. I was lost, but Jesus found me. And in the midst of that brokenness of my life, far away from family, Jesus came to me. And he said, you belong to us now. I paid the price for you. And God the Father adopted me into his family and showed me now that I had brothers and sisters. And God began to teach me a code of conduct. He began to, to, to teach me how to be a man. And he gave me a transcendent cause, which was to reach young people in New York City. Today I'm a leader. I'm a husband. I'm a father. And guess what? I still make mistakes. I'm still learning. And when the evil within and the evil without come against me, I know that though I don't have my earthly father, I have a heavenly father who will never leave me, never forsake me. And in those moments of great darkness, I know that I can call out to him. I can cry out to him. And I can sing these words. Be thou my wisdom. And thou my true word, I ever with thee, and thou with me, Lord. Thou my great Father, and I thy true Son. Thou in me dwelling, and I with thee one. My name is Ray Anthony Vijegas. I am loved by God the Father. And I want to remind you that you are loved by him or can be loved by him. And I am called to be a saint. Thank you.
Our reading today is found in Romans 12, verse 17 to 21. And our Father says this to us. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Ray. I will not be singing. Well done, my friend. James Dobson tells a story about a couple that is getting, getting ready to go into their day. They're getting dressed. And so the wife comes in to have her husband zip up her dress. And he's, he's feeling, you know, a little um, ornery that morning. And so he takes the zipper and he goes up and down, up and down, up and down. And he's doing this with the zipper and he breaks the zipper. Well, this means that she's got to go change her dress. It makes her late for work. And so she's just upset all day long. She's just stewing on it, and she's thinking, how can I get back at him? He made me, you know, and she's just angry. So she, she comes home from work that night. She drives and pulls into the driveway, and she sees him laying under his car working on the car, and his legs are sticking out. So she goes, I'll get back at him. She goes over and grabs the zipper on his pants. It goes back and zip, 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 back and forth. And she laughs and she struts off and she's thinking, I got him back. And she walks into the kitchen and there is her husband. <laughs> what are you doing here? He says, well, what do you think I'm doing here? I'm getting something to drink for Frank who came over to help me with the car. So she's mortified, and she, she tells her husband what happened, and, and so they go outside so that she can explain things to Frank and, and apologize to Frank, and he's still laying under the car, and he's motionless, and they go over and kind of shake him, and he's out. See, because what happened, he did what any man would do when someone grabs your zipper. He sat straight up banged his head into the car, knocked him stone cold out. So anyway, um, there's a point. If you can believe this, this is week 23 in our study of the book of Romans. And for 19 weeks, Paul, Paul walked through this wonderful gospel of grace through faith in Jesus, that, that we can have relationship with our Heavenly Father uh, through no good works of our own, but simply by putting faith in the cross of Christ. And for, for 19 weeks, we, we looked at, at all the components of that. Three weeks ago, we turned a corner 
where the Apostle Paul begins in chapter 12 by telling us what this, what, what our lives should look like as we respond to the grace of God in our lives. And in chapter 12, he says, in view of God's mercy, in view of everything that we've talked about, in view of all of 11 chapters before, said in view of God's mercy, the only appropriate response that we can have is for us to give ourselves to God in total commitment. And then he begins to unpack in detail what that looks like. Two weeks ago, we talked about the fact that God has gifted us all in various ways and that we are to use those gifts in, in love of God and in love of each other. And then last week, James looked at, at the fact that our, the different aspects of what, what sincere love looks like. How do we love one another? Well, this morning is a continuation of that, but there's only one thing that we're going to look at, and that is this idea of revenge. You see, revenge is um, one of the great questions of life. In this book, Paul has been answering some of the great questions of life. And this is another one. Specifically, isn't it okay to take revenge sometimes? Aren't there there occasions when revenge is the right thing for us to do? I mean, we, we look at these faces of these men and women who were killed in Orlando, and, and there's, there's something in us that says, we want justice for that. Justice needs to be done for that. We got something needs to be done about that. It angers us. We want revenge. All of us have wanted revenge at some point or another in our life. And we've often done things to try to get it whether it was physically going after somebody or, or verbally cutting them up, we, we have sought revenge at some time or another. And vengeance is one of the great motifs of, of screen and, and stage and literature. Many of the classics have vengeance as this central theme. Uh, Hamlet, The Tempest, The Count of Monte Cristo, Revenge of the Nerds. I mean, these... Literary, literary classics have this theme of vengeance to construct this, this conflict that hangs us on the edge of our seats so that we, we can't wait to see how it's resolved. The fact is, vengeance comes from a divine source. We desire vengeance because of injustice. Um, or at least perceived injustice. The attribute of God in his holiness is breached. We are the recipient of that breach. And so, instinctively, we want vengeance. We get angry. We want revenge. You know that that's right for you to feel? Did you know that? Anybody... Does the Bible teach that anger is wrong? No. The Bible does not say that anger is wrong. The Bible says, in your anger, do not sin. See, the Bible never says it's wrong to get angry. 
What the Bible says is, is how you respond in anger can be right or wrong. Um, see, vengeance is a divine attribute. The Bible teaches us that, that God clothes himself in a garment of wrath. So vengeance is an attribute of God, but it's the only attribute of God, to my knowledge, that we are called not to emulate. You see, God is loving, God is patient, God is kind, God is just. We are called to be loving, patient, kind, just. God is vengeful. We are called not to be vengeful. And I think that's ironic because that may be the, the attribute of God that is most instinctive to us, right? And, and most highly touted in our culture. Ever heard the phrase, I don't get mad, I get even? That's revenge. So in view of God's mercy, which is what Paul began this section in, of Romans with, in view of how God has forgiven us, and granted us grace through the cross of Jesus Christ. How is the Christian supposed to handle things when they've been wronged? How, how is it that we are supposed to live in the face of evil and wrongdoing? That's what Paul deals with. Romans 12, starting in verse 17. Do not repay any evil, do not repay anyone evil for evil. I'm going to give you three R's, and the first one is we are not to react to evil. We are not to react to evil. Evil is done against us through slander or physical harm or infidelity or, or whatever it is, and we instinctively feel that we need to get back at them. We need to get even. He's acted against me, and thus I react in a way to, to get my pound of flesh from him. I'll get revenge. But Paul says you don't do that. See, we're not to repay anyone evil for evil. We are not to react. So what are we supposed to do? Paul says be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. That means that when I am wronged, I am to respond by maintaining righteous conduct. While Jesus hung on the cross, he was slandered, he was spit upon, he was cursed, but Jesus did not slander or curse or spit back. Rather, Jesus responded to his father, and he called on his father to bring justice and, and vengeance on those who perpetrated this evil. You see, instead of reacting we are to respond. Now, you may say, Keith, well, what's the difference? Think of it like this. If you go to the doctor to, to get treated for something, and the doctor gives you medication, and you break out in hives all over your body, what's, what are they going to say? That you're having a reaction to the medication, Right? But if you take the meds and the headache goes away or the, the pain goes away or whatever, the doctor says he's responding to the treatment, right? You see, a reaction is negative. It has bad effect. A response moves toward. A response has positive effect. And notice, 
it says that we are to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. Who does everybody include? Everybody includes the one who wronged you, right? Paul is saying that when we are wronged, our response should be a witness to who Christ is in our life to everyone. In Philippians chapter 4, Paul said, Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. You see, in response to God's mercy in our lives, we are to bear witness to that mercy by responding righteously and gently when we are wronged. Friends, if you call yourself a a follower of Jesus and you repay evil with evil, then you have just hurt the cause of Christ with everyone who sees how you have reacted, including the one that you have wronged. Any baseball fans here? Yeah, baby. Um, how, how many of you saw the, the brawl a couple of weeks ago between um, Casey, well, I know Dave did, the, the Orioles and, and the Royals? So Kansas City Royals have a pitcher, uh, Ventura, and he throws a 99-mile-an-hour fastball inside and hits Manny Machado, the batter for the Orioles, right in the back. 99 miles an hour. So what's, what's Manny Machado supposed to do? Well, if you're a baseball player and you get hit by a pitch, you go after the pitcher, right? So Machado charges the mound. He's charging the mound. Well, now the, the Royals team, they can't let their pitcher, you know, they can't leave their pitcher out there. So the, the Royals bench empties to protect Ventura. When the Royals bench empties, what has the Orioles then have to empty their bench. And so you've got this whole thing going on. See, that's how baseball works. And that's how our culture works. And unfortunately, that's how a lot of us work. You throw inside on me. And I'm going to charge the mound. And then when I charge the mound, the bench is going to empty. And when your bench empties, my bench empties. You know where I use this text most in the counseling that I do? Marriages. Because I'll have a husband in my office and he will say, well, it's hard to love her when she does that. And then she'll say, well, well, I wouldn't do that if he didn't do this. And then he'll say, well, I wouldn't do this if she didn't do that other thing. And on and on. See, basically what they're saying is, she threw inside on me and I had to charge them out. Friends, we feel justified in repaying evil for evil. When somebody does something to me, I feel justified because vengeance is part of how I'm created. I'm made in the image of God. But it is not something that we have been given um, right to do. Our job is not to repay evil to evil. It is not to react. Rather, it is to respond 
being careful that we do what is right regardless of what others do to us. So don't react. Do respond to what is right. And verse 18, relate. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. You can't control how others relate to you, but you can control how you relate toward them. My job is to go as far as is necessary to promote peace. When it comes to relationships, it's not about who's right and who's wrong. It's, a, it's not about winning or losing. It's about making peace. I tell every couple who goes through premarital counseling with me that if you get into an argument and either of you is bent on winning, you both lose. You see, anytime you get into a place where the, you're, I'm going to win, I'm going to be right, at the end of the day, you both lose. You have to get into a, a, a mindset where you're thinking, how can we can't get into a win-win here? What's a win-win in this conversation? God calls us, as far as it depends on us, to be at peace with everybody. Is that tough to do? Yeah. Not so yeah, it's easy, right? No, it's hard. It's extraordinarily difficult. But that's what we're called to in view of God's mercy. You see, vengeance is God's business. It's not yours and it's not mine. Now, is this a New Testament idea? Is this new with the apostle Paul? Now, if you go back to Genesis, you'll remember that, that Jacob, Jacob had 12 sons and one daughter. Anybody remember Jacob's daughter's name? Dinah. Dinah, won't you blow? Dinah, won't you? See, I can sing. Um, so he has this one daughter, Dinah. And Jacob and Dinah are in a place they shouldn't have been. They were in Shechem, which was in Canaan. And Dinah ends up getting raped. Um, And the guy who raped her was the prince of Shechem. And so Jacob has these two sons, Simeon and Levi. The the prince of Shechem says, I want want Dinah to be my, my wife. And Simeon and Levi say, okay, well... You can have our sister as your wife. And in fact, we'll actually marry some of your women too. But there's just one thing. Your men have to become like us. In other words, you need to be circumcised. And so the, guy, the men of Shechem say, okay, we can do that. So these guys get circumcised. Now, just so you know, when, a, when an adult male is circumcised... Um, he has to take a day off. <laughs> All right? I mean, this is, this is not outpatient stuff, okay? So these guys are laying around and they're recuperating. And Simeon and Levi come in and they kill all the men of the village to get revenge for what they did to Dinah. How do you think God felt about that? Did God say, good plan, way to go? No. God said, cursed be Simeon 
and cursed be Levi. They have made their circumcision knives weapons of violence. It would be the same thing as me getting mad at some guy and then him wanting to join the church and me saying, well, if you want to join the church, you got to get baptized and me baptizing him and then holding him under the water (laughs) until he drowned. Same thing. What they did was wrong, and as a result, God cursed them and said, Cursed be their anger. I will scatter them in Jacob and disperse them in Israel. And when the nation of Israel went into Canaan under the leadership of Joshua, um, Levi was not given an allotment of land, the tribe of Levi, and the tribe of Simeon was absorbed into the tribe of Judah. See, the idea of forgiveness and letting God take care of the vengeance stuff is not a Pauline thought. It is not a New Testament thought. It is a biblical thought that runs from Genesis through Revelation. If you read through the Old Testament, you will see everywhere that vengeance is not our business. It's God's business. Don't react in anger. Respond in righteousness and relate in peace. In verse 19, here's the premise Paul gives us for why we don't take revenge. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Why don't we take vengeance? Because the standard that is breached is not our standard. It's God's standard. David said, against you alone have I sinned. It's God's standard. It's God's place. And he has appointed a day for wrath. And when God brings wrath, he will be glorified. But when we do it, he is not glorified. See, it's not our job. It's his. You go back to Genesis. Jacob died and and the ten brothers who mistreated Joseph and sold him into slavery Uh, They came to Joseph and said, we're afraid that now that our dad is dead, that you're going to kill us. And so, Joseph, please swear that that you'll take care of us and you won't kill us. And Joseph said, am I in the place of God? In other words, it's God's place to judge. It's God's place to exact vengeance, not mine. Paul said in, in Ephesians 4, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry and do not give the devil a place. Whenever I take vengeance, I give the devil a place in my life. Now I'm going to make a categorical statement here. I have never met an angry, vengeful person who is happy. Angry, vengeful people are not happy people. And so if you're going to hold a grudge, if you're going to be bitter, if you're going to try to exact revenge against somebody, then you're doing yourself harm. And you're missing the joy that God has for you. So do yourself a favor and don't be vengeful. Let God take care of it. Verse 19 says, It is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. You know the biggest problem I have with this verse? It's that word will. 
See, I don't have a problem not taking vengeance. I don't have a problem letting God take, take vengeance as long as he does it now. Right? I mean, I'm standing on the curb and it's raining and some and the cab I'm waiting for a cab and a cab comes up and I'm about to get in and somebody else gets in my cab. I'm okay with that. Just as long as as the cab's pulling away, a lightning bolt strikes that cab <laughs> and the guy, you know, stumbles out and smoke is rising off of his charred body. And he says, you know, it was your cab. (laughs) I'm okay with that. You know, I like it in the book of Numbers when the sons of Korah curse Moses and immediately the earth opens and swallows them. I like that. I like it when Miriam slanders Moses and immediately God strikes her with leprosy. I'm good with that. I'm good when, when the Israelites are, are cursing Moses and God sends an acre of snakes to bite them, right? I'm fine with God taking vengeance as long as he takes vengeance now. It's that will thing that bothers me. But most of the time, it's that will thing that I have to live with. Because God has a plan and God's going to act his plan in his time. And I just have to be patient. Because if I want to take vengeance into my hands, he won't be glorified. But if I will wait and let him do it in his time, then he will be glorified. So I'm not to take vengeance. What am I supposed to do? Verse 20. And Paul quotes Proverbs 25. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. What does it mean to heap burning coals on his head? Um, Let me read to you what the expositor Charles Hodge says. To heap coals of fire on anyone is a punishment which no one can bear. He must yield to it. Kindness is no less effectual. The most malignant enemy cannot withstand it. The true and Christian method, therefore, to subdue an enemy is to overcome evil with good. And that is where the next verse takes us. Verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The point is that the most effective way of subduing an enemy and winning them over is by doing good to them. You see, when I react to someone who has done me wrong by treating them wrongly, the feeling that they get is that they should have treated me wrongly because of the way I am. I deserve it. But if I treat them with kindness, what it does is it holds up a mirror and shows them they're evil. Because as long as I'm treating them evilly too they don't see their own evil but when I treat them with kindness when I treat them with gentleness when I treat them with good they have to see their own evil Hodge went on to say nothing is so powerful as goodness 
men whose minds cannot, men whose minds can withstand argument, and whose hearts rebel against threats, cannot stand against the persuasive influence of unfeigned love. They cannot stand against the influence of unbridled, unconditional love. When the Roman centurion stood at the base of the cross and watched Jesus die, he he heard the insults hurled at him, and yet Jesus didn't retaliate. He saw the suffering that Jesus went through, and yet Jesus didn't curse God or he didn't curse the authorities. The centurion watched as Jesus prayed for God's forgiveness of those who were doing these things. He watched him turn to the thief that was on his right and say, today you will be with me in paradise. He watched Jesus hang there in pain and yet exhibit peace. And when Jesus finally died, the Bible said, the centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, surely this was the Son of God. You see, the centurion saw Jesus go through what he did without retaliation, without seeking vengeance. And he didn't say, oh, how weak, how cowardly, how, you know. What did he say? He said, this man's claims must be true because of how he acts with righteousness in the face of evil. Proverbs 19.11 A man's wisdom gives him patience. It is to his glory to overlook an offense. Proverbs 23. It is to a man's honor to avoid strife, but every fool is quick to quarrel. Any fool can try to get revenge, but it is glorious and honorable to respond in generosity because our God is so great and his cause is so wonderful that we will not sink to the base reactions of others. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I wonder how many of us have fallen into the habit of repaying evil with evil. I wonder how many of us have such a penchant for justice that we take it upon ourselves to exact vengeance when we feel we've been wronged. Friends, when we do that, Proverbs says that we are a fool. And more than that, our voice of the gospel goes silent because we did not respond in righteousness. When we take vengeance upon ourselves, in effect, we are saying, my cause is greater than God's cause. And I'm here to tell you, it's not. Has your witness been hindered in your workplace because of your anger? Has your witness been hindered in your home, in your marriage, in your relationships because of your penchant for being right? Friends, you have no obligation to play God. You only have an obligation to act toward others 
as Jesus acted toward you. You say, well, that's really hard. That's really painful. Yeah, it is. But in view of God's mercy, that's how we are to love others. You see, vengeance is God's business, not ours. Let me pray for us. Lord, forgive us for taking into our own hands the thing that belongs only to you. I just want you to allow the Holy Spirit right now to convict you of the people in your life that you have um, been vengeful toward. And I want to encourage you that as the Lord lays a person or people on your heart that that you would go and seek forgiveness. That you would go and you would say to them, I, I did not love you well and I did not honor God well and the way I treated you, and I'm sorry. Because it's not too late to let God be God and you to overcome evil with good. Lord Jesus, I pray that that we would see in your cross the power of good overcoming evil. And while not easy, Lord, we would find the fulfillment that comes from living a life even as you have modeled it. We pray this for your name's sake. Amen.